I guess it's been three years now. So that's uh, pretty much the beginning of the pandemic. I, I flew back to Canada here. I, I'm in Toronto, Canada right now. And when I arrived here last time I was in China was literally the day before China announced human to human transmission of COVID-19. So that was, I believe, January uh, 20th, uh, 2020. And I think I arrived on the 19th. And so, uh, so anyway, I've been trying to get back to China because I was teaching, I had a job uh, then, and uh, I wasn't able to. And I think partly because some of the politics specifically between Canada and China, they just made it very difficult to renew my work visa, although I'd been working in China for seven years up to that point. And anyway, so I just could not go back. So I taught uh, my uh, environmental science course online the following year, 20, so it was 2020 to 2021. And then because I couldn't get back to China, I was still trying to get back. Um, I wasn't, I lost my job. So in China, because they just, they wanted people teaching in person. And, uh, and the reason why I think it was just a Canada, China thing is because there was an American guy who is in New York state, literally bordered on this province of Ontario, Canada, who was going back to the same school. COVID was worse in New York City then. It was really bad. So you can't say COVID has anything to do with it. It was much better in Canada. And he applied the exact same time to go back, but he did not have to meet the standards to return that I did. And I had more years in China than him at that point. And so he was able to get a visa and he went back and I think it was November 2021, and he's been back ever since. And I've been trying to get back and uh, just hasn't been able to work out. And the age thing has come into play in the meantime, because the retirement age is uh, 60 in China. But like many things, if you know certain people or certain connections, there's usually a way around it in China. And anyway, I've discovered that I can teach, in uh, this time, it's just English as a second language at a university. And so the university is Ludong University. So this is the third school I'll be teaching at in China in the third city. So I'm really getting a picture of China. But the first two years, if you recall, I was in Nanjing. Was it, which is Jiangsu province. It's the capital of Jiangsu province. Jiangsu province is basically where the lower Yangtze River is and the mouth of the Yangtze River is Shanghai. So Nanjing is a few hours train ride up the Yangtze River from Shanghai. So that's basically uh, sort of the middle of China, middle east part of China and uh, Nanjing. And then the next five years, I taught at in Jinan, which is the capital of Shandong province, which is further north 
I'm trying to think with train ride, I think it was like a five hour train ride from Nanjing to Jinan. And that's where I taught in a high school and I taught AP human geography. So advanced placement, human geography and advanced placement, environmental science to top high school students at the top high school in Shandong province. Now, China, they always talk, everything's ranked. So you always hear whether it's top or not. And, but a top high school in a Chinese province is a big deal. You know, Shandong has a population of 100 million people, about three times the population of all of Canada. So, uh, so anyway, so it was a popular school. I was in the international program and that's what I did. And then I flew home to Toronto, Canada on one of my biannual visits. And this was during the spring festival of 2020. So about in January, February period, about three weeks. And I never was able to return as I told you earlier. And uh, so now it's exciting to go back after three years. Um, yeah, so because of all the lockdowns and what's happening, I've been always following what's going on in China on LinkedIn and talking to some of my teacher friends in China from different countries, Americans, Pakistanis, even Chinese. And uh, so anyway, I hear, hear a lot of things are, have, are changing in China uh, because of the whole pandemic. Uh, um, and so just through the application process, for instance, again, I've been going to China for seven years. I've been producing the same evidence pretty much for the same years. Evidence like my PhD certificate to prove I have a PhD. This time I had to notarize it and I had to get it authenticated. And this is after going seven years using the existing certificate, but suddenly I have to notarize it. So this time has made much more expensive pulling all the documents together, getting them authenticated and notarized. So it's been a long process. So long, in fact, that none of us, even including in China, knew how long this process was going to take. So here I am almost a month after I was supposed to begin teaching at the university that I'm on the verge of going to China. So in, in about two days, I'll be leaving. Uh, and then I'll arrive the next day. On, it'll be Saturday night in China, 10.30 at night, and they're going to pick me up at the airport. This has not happened before. It's just where the city is. It's a new city called Yantai, Y-A-N-T-A-Y, or T-A-I, and it's actually a coastal city in on the East China Sea. And... Um, so it's still in Shandong province where Jinan is. So, but it's a smaller community. I don't know actually the exact size, but I'm guessing it's a tier three or tier four community. If you recall, the top tier cities in China are like Shanghai, Beijing, Guangzhou, the sort of famous cities where the vast majority of foreigners, certainly businessmen go. But as a teacher, I've gone to 
what I think is way cooler parts of China, the real China, the traditional China. I honestly think if you only go to Shanghai, you don't know China. You need to go to these other places like I have. And, and many teachers do. It's typical of teachers, but not the business people. I, this is what I picked up over the years following LinkedIn. I've got a perspective of what I'm seeing of China versus what they see. And when I look on LinkedIn, I swear there must be like 90 plus percent of people that have been to China. It's only, it's pretty much Shanghai. They've never lived in any other city. Shanghai is incredibly Western. It's the most Westernized city by far in China. So I just picked this up after a few years of listening to what the business people are saying. Of course, they're commenting on business issues, which isn't really my area of expertise, but just their interpretations, the perspective they have. I realize it is devoid of knowledge of the culture of China uh, and the history. It's, it's just very westernized and the interpretations of things that happen uh, with respect to the Chinese government, it's all very Western from my point of view. And I honestly think they need a good education in traditional China where I've been. Nanjing, Jinan. Turns out Jinan is even more traditional than Nanjing. Nanjing is one of the great ancient capitals of China. There's only four. And Nanjing is one of them, and Beijing is one, and Xi'an is one, where the Terracotta Warriors are, and Luoyang, uh, which is another very ancient, famous city that you probably have never heard of before, um, that's closer to Xi'an. And so that tells you right away. So when you live in Nanjing, and this is certainly from my perspective as a Westerner, but I had this confirmed by a American Chinese woman who once flew to Shanghai for a wedding. And I wanted her to come up to Nanjing because she was helping me develop a research program. And I wanted her to be able to talk in Chinese to the professors I was working with. And so she came to Nanjing and she'd never been to Nanjing. She was actually really looking forward to it because she'd heard all about it. And so I took her around Nanjing and she just loved it. And the, the main message she gave me was that this reminds me of my childhood in Shanghai. She said, the street vendors that you see here in Nanjing's like see that sort of uh, sugar, there was this block of sugar that I'm not sure what you call it, but it's, it's like you get a block of um, sugar, you could buy a sugar box at the side of the road. And she said, that's what I remember as a child growing up in Shanghai. But she says, they're gone in Shanghai. You don't see them anymore. So she really felt like she was going back in time when she went to Nanjing. And it made her feel all, you know, soft inside and teary almost about remembering her childhood because Nanjing was so much more traditional than Shanghai. And so, so that's how I know it def it's, it's different. 
And uh, and then another thing I can say, uh, I think I already mentioned in an earlier episode, is that when I went to Shanghai, I got Shanghai'd a couple of times. And like people were picking on me to try and lure me into places that weren't true or, or, or little scams. It's you had to be careful. You know, if I walk down the main tourist street, which is Nanjing East Road in Shanghai, it's a big tourist street where all the expensive shops are, I'd be targeted constantly. I mean, constantly, like I'd never been targeted in any Chinese city before. And I mean, I just went there a couple of weekends and I was targeted so often more than all the rest of my seven years in China visiting 16 provinces and who knows how many cities, nothing came close to what happened to me in Shanghai. And living in Nanjing for two years, not once did I have try, someone try and scam me, a taxi driver or anything. But Shanghai to me is just means scammers. And so it's a very different, so I always thought of it as very westernized, like that's what it was. That, that is not Chinese culture. Chinese culture is people leaving you alone. They'll, they'll maybe want a picture of you on the streets in, in Nanjing, but they're not going to try and rip you off, you know, not like Shanghai. So very different. And then going to Jinan, that Shandong is actually like the ancient heart, spiritual heart of China, I would say. It's the lower reaches of the Yellow River, which is the actual mother, what they call the mother river of China. So it's not as big, uh, certainly in width and depth and everything, as the Yangtze River. And I never saw any ships on it. I don't think that would be possible. But Yangtze River, you do. For instance, in Nanjing, you see some fairly big ships on the river, but not in the Yellow River. So the Yellow River was, that's where the idea of the yellow skin of Chinese comes from. Like the first myth was that the first Chinese were formed out of the, the, the mud of the, that's in the Yellow River. And so that's where the yellow comes from. And so the most ancient of ancient civilizations in China started right along the Yellow River. So we are talking ancient. So Jinan was just a whole other world. Like for instance, they had the most sacred mountain in all of China called Taishan uh, that was only about a half an hour train ride away. And then we also had Confucius's hometown was maybe an hour by train away. So I didn't know it before I went to Jinan, but it didn't take long to realize that I think this is the real ancient heart of China, like way more than Shanghai. Nanjing was already a couple thousand years old. Jinan isn't as ancient as a city, I don't believe, uh, as maybe Nanjing, but certainly the province it is in is. And so uh, Marco Polo apparently wrote about Jinan because the old name of Jinan was Qingli. So C-H-I-N-G-L-I. 
And uh, so there was a couple battles and so on that took place up there with the Mongols. Uh, someone was drowned in the lake and, uh, you know, as, as part of a battle or uh, losing uh, end of a battle. And um, so anyway, Jinan was really cool. So to see, and there, the other thing is that you've heard of the Great Wall of China. Everyone has, you can see it from space. You have to, it's north of Beijing. You go to Beijing to go to the Great Wall. Well, the original super old Great Wall is in Shandong province. Shandong province used to be two different countries and the wall separated uh, ancient Qi state from ancient Lu state. And uh, Confucius grew up in Lu state. Jinan was in Qi state. So he was in sort of a different country from Jinan. And of course, it's just one province now. And Qi state was a very famous, powerful Eastern state. I almost think the roots of um, scholarly activity occurred in Qi state. I think one of the most ancient schools was in Qi state, original schools. And of course, you had Confucius there, of course, very famous, and we're talking 2,500 years ago. And so when you go to his hometown, just, I think I mentioned this before, it's like incredible. It's not a giant town. It's called Chufu, Q-U-F-U. And you can go see where his family lived. You can go see the family graveyard. You can also go to the original Confucian temple. So if you notice, all around, you've heard all around the world, there's these Confucian Institutes. They're based on the original Confucian temple. And so I saw the temple a few times. Our students actually went to the temple as part of their graduation activities. So the students would decide like what kind of ceremonies we want when we graduate. And this is what I found very cool to just show you that this ancient culture still lives in China. It's not 2,500 years ago, it is now. My students, for instance, engaged in a Confucian coming of age ceremony, and that was in Jinan, but then they also arranged to have their final graduation ceremony right literally at the Confucian temple, which was just, beyond cool. And of course, they're dressed up in traditional clothing called Hanfu, which is a 4,000-year-old design. I just can't imagine any Canadian student or American student thinking in that way. They would want the latest and most modern uh, type of things in their graduation ceremony. And these students could have had the same thing, but they chose Confucius. That's how much Chinese culture is still inbred. We're talking teenagers did this, and it's kind of honoring their culture. So really special thing to be a part of. <clears throat> and so I also went through his graveyard, which is apparently the largest graveyard in the world. You literally have to take a golf cart on a tour. You drive throughout the forest. And you look for numbers, and the number just tells you which generation is buried there. 
And I think they're, I'm not sure which generation they're at now, 70 generations or something. There's supposed to be 100,000 people buried in that graveyard. And so I was going back to this ancient province, but I was going to be way further out, right on the seacoast in Yantai. And I knew Yantai for its apples. You hear about Yantai apples are supposed to be the best apples in China. So I would order them every year in Jinan because, you know, in southern Canada, I grew, it's an apple growing region. I'm used to super fresh apples. And if it's like a different, the wrong time of the year, I, I can't even eat an apple that's not picked freshly from a tree. So when I heard about Yantai apples, that was perfect for me. You know, in the fall when they picked them, I would order them. And yeah, they were excellent apples. It's also a wine growing region. So red wine is grown there. And it's also a fishing village. Well, I don't know if you call it a village, but seafood. It's right on the coast. So seafood is really big. And so if you want to sort of pinpoint it, if you look at a map of China, look at fine Beijing in the north there on the east. Just look a little bit uh, south and to the east. On the east, you'll see the East China Sea. I am going to be at the tip of the one peninsula that sticks out into the East China Sea that is southeast of Beijing. So that's exactly where I'm going to be. So anyway, it's going to be at a university. They also want me to teach about culture. They want me to teach about Canada, about Australia, Britain, um, New Zealand. They didn't mention the U.S. So <laughs> anyway, four countries, and they're, they're hoping that I will give them a sense of the cultures and how they're different in those countries. And of course, this is all part of teaching English. But it's at university, and they really are adding a whole international dimension. Like, it makes it much more interesting to teach. They want to uh, do a UN, um, they want to do a kind of a UN moot process. So that operates at the United Nations, where students represent different countries and and how countries debate amongst themselves when they're trying to uh, develop new rules about how to operate internationally. What's that? Sorry? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Model United Nations, yes. M-U-N. So yes, they want to have a model United Nations process. So that'll be something else I'll be teaching. So anyway, it's going to be much more than just English. And it's uh, Ludong University. I've been, oh, I've also been to Yantai, just the outskirts of Yantai before. And that was because I made good friends with the Dean of English at my high school. And he was Chinese. He was in the Chinese part of the school. Again, I was in the international department, but he was the Dean of English. And so he was responsible for teaching English, all the English classes at the school, Shandong Experimental High School. And I befriended him one day because he had this book of all these ancient kind of teapots that were made. 
and uh, not ancient. They were um, uh, very um, beautiful teapots made by a teapot designer uh, using traditional materials and traditional design. And he just wanted some good names that they could use, English names, for the different pots. So he would read the Chinese to me and, and interpret it, um, do the translation into English. And of course, it wouldn't translate that well. And so the, he wanted me to figure out the best words to use that capture the same sentiment for the title of the, the name of that type of teapot. And so this is how we first became friends. I just said, yeah, sure. Okay, I'll do that. And so I spent a few hours with him and I gave him different names and he was thrilled with that. And, and of course, the other thing about teaching English, the students really want to know the cool way to teach English. They want to know the sayings, you know, in in uh, in the west like what are some of the latest sayings and so on so not that i'm hugely plugged into that but i certainly know a lot more than a chinese person would so so he was always getting me to uh help with some english classes and one uh day he invited me and my wife and son uh you know to fly to china and join me and to spend spring festival with his family and his family lived on the outskirts of Yantai. So that was a super special experience. We drove for like, it was several hours, you know, China's a big country. So we were basically West Shandong province and we had to drive towards the ocean. You know, as I said, we're out on the tip of Shandong province, a big peninsula. And so it was just a little community. It wasn't, I never don't remember the big city of Yantai, but it was just a little, I think it was Tushan or something like that. I can't remember the exact name of the village, but it was literally a village. And so we stayed with his parents who kind of a farm, you know, surrounded by farmland. And we spent like a week there, just, it was fa fabulous. Like it just treated like, kings uh the whole time they wouldn't let us spend money on anything it was all up to them and so i met his whole family and we ate you know various tons of food and and we sell we helped prepare for the spring festival so we helped decorate the doors and the different signs that you put on the doors you know welcoming people or or wishing giving people good wishes and we met some of the neighbors, we visited some of them, we watched them do using calligraphy. One girl was, you know, they don't go to the store and buy it. You know, students are taking calligraphy in their free time. Again, in touch with the ancient part of Chinese culture. And I think it was a daughter or a granddaughter or something, she was really good at calligraphy. So she actually handmade the signs. So we helped her like held, held the red sheets while she did that and hung those signs on the doors. And then of course, on spring festival day, it was just huge amount of firecrackers. Unbelievable, it was like a war zone. It was so loud, there was so much smoke. It was full on spring festival. 
and people getting drunk. I actually have a photograph of a Chinese guy staggering along the roads in the village, and he just ran inside the parents of my friend's house and saw my son and came up and grabbed him and gave him a big kiss on the cheek. And <laughs> it was just hilarious. So, yeah, so it was incredible. So that's, and we actually, after we left there, we went to the Yantai airport and flew on to Northeast China to see a whole other part of China, the three of us. And Northeast China, you know, was much colder, much more Canadian, reminded me totally of Canada, boreal forest trees. It was cold. We went there for an ice festival, ice sculpture festival, famous in China. And I've got tons of pictures of that. And anyway, so this is my background knowledge for that area. And so I'm really looking forward to teaching. I love to teach about the different cultures. I really enjoy that, the human geography part. You know, just tell them how Canada is different or Australia and how each of them is different. And I'm thrilled with this because I'm Canadian. My dad's from Britain, so I can talk about Britain. And my mother is from New Zealand. And I have a sister who lives in Australia. And I have lots of cousins in Australia and New Zealand. So I know these four countries quite well, and I've been to all of them. And so I'm really looking forward to that at university. And it's reminding me of when I first moved to China, to Nanjing, um, and I was teaching economics at a university. So that's graduate level economics. But I was approached because the word got around that there's this foreigner from Canada at Nanjing Forestry University. And so a younger first year economics class of students approached me, like the class leader had approached me and said, oh, could you please, you know, spend the week, you know, a, a weekday with us or a weekend day with us and just help uh, teach English to us, like go for a walk to the park across the road and we'll talk in English. and." We would just so love that, you know, and they were just so, yeah, just so wide-eyed and bushy-tailed and so excited of meeting a foreigner because most people had never met a foreigner. So I was like this movie star. And yeah, so that was just incredible. So I, I that's what I reflect on before I go back to Ludong. Is that same thing going to happen again years later? We're talking... You know, we're talking 10 years later after I first went to China. So I was there, you know, in 2013 and pretty much all the way to 2019, 2020, and then the last three years in Canada, and then now I'm returning again. So that's what I think of. Are the students uh, first-year students? Because it's a first-year class that I'll be teaching this fall. Are they going to be, is it going to be the same excitement? Because we're in a different kind of world now uh, where, you know, there's been, there's kind of more negativity, uh, much more than 10 years ago, uh, or, you know, tensions with Taiwan and the U.S. and so on. So I'm just wondering about that. And I'm not really afraid of it. 
I've talked to a couple of Chinese, you know, this one friend whose parents live near, um, near Yantai, who I spent spring festival with. Um, he, he's been calling me a few times going, when are you coming? When are you coming? You know, he's really excited for me to come and wants to go for a beer. Like he's big at beer drinking. And, and, uh, so I was just saying, well, what's it like now? Like, are, you know, they're going to treat, how am I going to be treated sort of thing? Like, are people going to be negative? And he just goes, no, 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 don't worry about it. And he wants me to talk to his class and Jinan and all this. So, and I believe him like, because whenever I was in China and there was some political issue going on, and you could say maybe the Chinese didn't really know exactly what was going on internationally, potentially could be, uh, but never once did I feel that I was being treated differently, even when there's some difficult issues between Canada and China. It's really comes down to you're a person, and especially if you if I'm a friend of Willie's, you know, Willie's my the English name for my Chinese friend, and he has pretty high status as a dean and so on. And if I'm Willie's friend, I'm good. That's the whole thing. Like I get invited to stuff, and if I'm Willie's friend, they treat me like I'm Willie. You know, that's what it's like. And so Willie is like, yeah, really uh, good protection that way, I guess you could say. But but I never heard of anyone having those person-to-person -person issues. Uh, you just, uh, obviously, certain debates, if you get too critical, can become a little uncomfortable. And uh, so you just stay away from those. But, you know, that happens everywhere. So... Uh, so overall, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the undergrads being really wanting to learn again, Chinese students being so hungry for learning. And um, yeah, so and, and in a totally different village, too. Like, I've, I can tell you a tier two city, Nanjing, tier three was Jinan. This is probably... It's got to be a tier four or even higher. So I'm giving you a picture of the more traditional rural China that you don't. And I would say the vast majority of the news you hear about China is all through Westerners who are basically in Shanghai, not even Beijing that much. Like it's striking on LinkedIn. There's very few people that live in Beijing. They might have visited, but... They live in Shanghai and they all hang out with each other. So like how much of a picture do you get of China? I specifically avoided foreigners wherever I went and hung out with Chinese as much as possible, even though I don't fully know the language, just survival of Chinese. And that was specifically to get that different perspective, the real China. So I cycled by myself. Virtually in Nanjing, I formed a cycling club. I went with a group of people. But in Jinan, it was by myself. I just went wherever I wanted to go. And no one ever stopped me, police or anything. So this is the other thing I want you to get. If you go like where I did out in the rural areas, it's no different than in Canada. 
you know, there aren't cameras everywhere and so on, that's in the cities. Uh, there might be cameras in one of the rural communities, but I don't, I don't even know if I recall a camera in a rural community, to tell you the truth. And I would just go by myself as a foreigner, go right into these. I'd walk right down the streets. I'd explore around the houses. No one ever stopped me. No one ever said anything. They just smiled and you know, and we'd try and communicate. Sometimes kids would run up to you. No, it was just wide open, no restrictions at all. I just go, there'd be signs and I wouldn't really know what they'd read, but I'd still go in and go check out what I want to do because I was bird watching a lot. So I'd have binoculars with me. And yeah, so I'm really looking forward to that part too of Yantai. It's the smallest uh, city that I'll be in. It's literally on the coast. There's mountains there, like small mountains. You're right by the coast. I saw a gorgeous video of what it looks like along there. Like it's stunning. It's mountains right down to the seaside and uh, a road that just barely goes along the edge of the mountains and sea on one side, mountains on the other. So I'm really looking forward to cycling again and exploring all those areas. And that brings us to a close of another episode of The Maple Dragon, the seven-year-long chronicles of a Canadian professor in China. Get early access, bonus episodes, and more inside Mark Robson's community at themapledragonpod.com. Till next time, take care of yourself. Goodbye.